guess who's back, 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 back again, again, again. JJ's back, back, back. Tell a friend, friend, friend. Yes, that's right. My resplendent, one-of-a-kind co-host is back on the show after taking some time off, and he's ready to shine. Jonathan P. Jenkins, welcome home. Hey, thanks for having me back. Feels really good. You know, I had to take care of some school things, but I'm excited and energized to get to the stuff we have on tap today. You took all that time off for school? That's oh, it. Ew. Ew. Yeah, who cares about school? Ugh. Well, anyway, it turns out that JJ is not the only one to make a beautiful comeback because last night, the Denver Nuggets did it. They made history and shocked the basketball world by defeating the Los Angeles Clippers in Game 7. It was only the 13th time in NBA history that a team has come back to win a series after being down 3-1. And the Nuggets just did it again! Back-to-back epic comebacks for this special group, and they knocked off the team that many people predicted would win the title. I was both euphoric and a little stunned watching that fourth quarter. But, JJ, where was your head at during the end of that series? Oh, I was right there with you. I was amazed to see the play from Murray and Jokic. Keep in mind, Jamal Murray is only 23 years old. And to go off for 40 points in a must-win game against Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, two of the best defenders in the league, thats it's nothing short of amazing. You know, Jokic played incredible last night. Some people look at his he only scored 16 points. Well, he has way more impact than just scoring points. He put up a triple-double, posting 13 assists and also 22 rebounds to go along with that. His playmaking is incredible. I was saw, I was looking at some highlights last night of a certain play. It was a two-man game really between uh, Jokic and Murray that worked all night. Uh, Jokic set a screen for Murray, and coming off, he threaded the needle. Murray threaded the needle to Jokic. And he was about at the free throw line. And there were a couple options he had to go to. He could have had a cutter. He could have taken a little midi floater and try and put that in. He had a cutter in Paul Millsap coming down the baseline. But he noticed that there was a defender also crashing on Millsap. And he saw Gary Harris kind of drifting towards the corner as well. And he puts a little side pass to, right into the pocket of Gary Harris. And Gary Harris nailed it. And that. That just speaks to there's no other center in the game that could see that and make that pass. Nikola Jokic is really just an incredible talent. Sheesh, fresh out of the film room, I see. That was a beautiful, (laughs) beautiful rendition of what happened last night. Uh, Just a small snippet, I guess. But we all know how I feel about my man, Freedom Murray. I am obsessed probably to an unhealthy degree at this point because I just scream anytime he does something cool. And Jokic, obviously a special talent, top 10 player in the league, no question. Might be the best passing big man ever when all is said and done with him, if not already. But he is something else, despite how awkward he looks at times running up and down the court. And look, there's been so much talk about the Clippers and how they choked. And while I don't disagree with that at all, You'll remember from our first episode that instead of just focusing on who choked, I also like to acknowledge the resilience of Denver 
and not just gloss over that impressive feat that they pulled off. <clears throat> Cleveland, listen up. Um, so, yeah, when Jamal Murray hit that dagger three with about two minutes left last night to put them up 98 to 80, I was just running around the house yelling, and people probably thought something was wrong with me. But, yeah, that was really something else. I got to say that so much credit here goes to Michael Malone for the job that he's done as the head coach with this young squad. I mean, going into game five, you got Michael Porter Jr. unleashing comments about how the offense is designed just to get plays for two players. And that was kind of a cause for concern for a little bit of turmoil in the locker room and possibly messing up the team chemistry that they'd built up. But the group stuck together and they never stopped fighting. I could go on and on and on and on. But I don't know, JJ, what do you think about the Nuggets? And you know, was it more coaching, player? I mean, I don't know. Oh, it was really a mix of all of that. They played like the better team in that series. And you could ju- tell just by a good example of that was, I think it was game six where it was late in the game and uh, Michael Porter Jr., of all people, hits a big three, you know, and he's really emerging as that third option for them. They're starting to have what looks to be a big three in the future. And Gary Harris played really meaningful minutes again for them, scored 14 points efficiently in the game seven. Jeremy Grant came up big for them, Paul Millsap as well. This was really a great team effort by the Nuggets, and you could just tell they were way more um, strong. They were much stronger chemistry-wise than the Clippers. Yeah, exactly. It was a total team effort, and they were down 15 in the third quarter of Game 5 when it looked like their season was likely to be over. And the catalyst, if anyone was watching, wasn't Murray. It wasn't Jokic. It was actually Paul Millsap who kind of got the ball rolling for the Nuggets offensively. And then as a result, they started playing better defensively. They didn't take the lead until 7.02 to go in the game for game five. But when I was watching the end, because I I took a shower at halftime and missed the first part of the third quarter, hoping that there would just be some magic and some luck because it was getting really sad to watch. And I didn't want to sit there and, wallow away in my sadness for an entire second half but I come out and all of a sudden the game's kind of close and what I noticed in the end of that third quarter and in the fourth quarter I was so impressed by how they played defensively they looked so cohesive and energetic they rotated well around the perimeter and they rebounded better limiting opportunities for the Clippers to get second chance points like I like rooting for underdogs anyway but when a team like that comes to life, it's just so exciting. Mm-hmm. And you can look at in Game Seven, yeah, the Clippers didn't necessarily didn't shoot the ball well from the outside. But what do you do when you can't shoot the ball from the outside? You drive inside, and that's where I think the Nuggets really separated themselves. They played fantastic interior defense. They were able to contest shots at the rim without fouling, which is just paramount in today's game. And I think that's really what won them the game. Yeah, totally. And as crazy as Game 7 was, I want to backpedal a little bit because I don't want to ignore how insane Game 6 was either. Paul George hits a 3 in the third quarter, and meanwhile, Jamal Murray is writhing in pain on the hardwood, just kind of laying there because he got hit really hard. And if you're the Nuggets, 
that's such a bad look. Like, there's not much of a worse sight than trailing by 19 in the second half and seeing maybe not your best player, but one of your two stars who you absolutely need to win the series just in pain on the ground. And so, like, yeah, at that point, you're just sitting around and it's like, okay, it's not looking good, right? But no, the Nuggets go on a late 15-0 run in the third quarter, and all of a sudden, it's a one-point game before we even head into the fourth. And with 11 minutes to go in the fourth, you have Torrey Craig hit a three from the corner who's not even a shooter, and you're just sitting there like, what am I watching? Yeah, it's really a... Really a testament to how underrated they are. A lot of people didn't give them a chance at all. And, you know, like in game six, in the entire second half, the Clippers scored uh, 35 points, which is just abominable, considering that in the first quarter they scored 34 points. So in one half, they only scored one more point than they did for the first quarter, which is it's just atrocious. Yeah, and part of that is – to be blamed on the Clippers, of course, but it also goes back to the crazy defense that the Nuggets were playing, which we were talking about, where they just looked more energetic, they're rotating fast, they look like they want it, they're hungry. Uh, Honestly, it was crazy. Game 7 last night, I almost felt more uncomfortable watching them try to protect a lead to start the fourth quarter than I was watching them try to come back from a deficit. Because... You know that someone like Kawhi Leonard is going to go off in the fourth quarter. Lou Williams is capable of scoring pretty much whenever he wants. And the big shocker was Kawhi's stat line. He went 6-for-22 on the game. Paul George, 4-for-16 on the game. They combined for only one free throw attempt and missed. And they combined for just 24 points in the game. Zero in the fourth quarter. 0-for-11 shooting. So I got to say, look, the Nuggets, fantastic offensively, but they won the series with their defense. And Jokic and Murray deserve every bit of praise that they're going to get. But it really did take all those guys. You mentioned Jeremy Grant, Gary Harris, Torrey Craig, Michael Porter Jr., Paul Millsap. True team effort and honestly a really fun underdog story to see succeed in 2020. No doubt. And to add on to that, you could like you could potentially see uh, PG going into that game and having a bad game because he's had a streak of that. I mean, it was only two years ago when he scored a whopping five points. Let me repeat that again. Five points in a game seven against the Jazz when he was still on the Thunder. And his first re- uh, his first round series play against the Mavericks was like atrocious. But that's the first time we've seen Kawhi actually choke in his career to this degree. So now we have to start holding Kawhi to the same standards that we hold a LeBron, a Giannis, a Kevin Durant, a Steph Curry, because before this, he hasn't really, he hasn't really disappointed to this magnitude, but this was surprising to, uh, to say the least from Kawhi. I couldn't agree with you more on what you just said. And we are going to get so far into that in just a second, but let's move over to the Clippers side of things because As amazing as it was what the Nuggets did, the Clippers did choke. They did blow an opportunity. They had a lot of chances to close it out. They had a lot of times where they looked like they were going to close it out. And people expected this team to win the championship. 
it's a really bad look to end your season that way after signing the reigning finals MVP and giving away Shea Gilgis Alexander, Danilo Gallinari, and like 47 draft picks to get Paul George, who, yeah, he had his moments in the playoffs, but he wasn't just disappointing last night. He had a lot of bad games, and you got to feel for him on some level. No doubt. And uh, even further than that, well, if you look at the games of Montrez Harrell and Lou Williams, they didn't live up in this series either. Uh, Montrez and Lou only averaged 10 points this series, uh, which is vastly under what they did in the regular season. We're talking about six man of the year uh, and potential six man of the year. He could have won it too. Um these guys really need to be performing at their best for the Clippers to be clicking, and they just didn't have that. And that's why Game 7 was such a shock to me, because that's a really important point. The Clippers could afford to make so many more mistakes than the Nuggets. They had a far greater margin for error, and if it was just one of those nights for one of their guys and they didn't have it, they had a whole crew of people that could step up. I mean, the depth on their team is the reason, or at least a big reason, why everybody picked them to win the championship over the Lakers, over the Bucks, over the Rockets, over the Celtics, Raptors, other teams like that. And yeah, Kawhi had a bad game, but he was playing great in the fourth quarter of the other games they lost, but Paul George did not deliver. Lou Williams did not step up like we've seen so many times. Sixth man of the year, Montrez Harrell. Where did you go? You disappeared. I mean, look, it's a bad, bad look for a team that had a couple of players mocking Damian Lillard before the playoffs even began, saying, you're going to get sent home this year, and Cancun on three. And look, I mean, I'm sure on a personal level, all these dudes are good people, but it's a bad, bad look from a competitive standpoint. Definitely. They just looked flat the entire second half of that game seven it didn't look like they played with any energy and you know when you're down like that you need to you need to look to your best player to get you guys going and to get you guys some energy and although although you're not going to get the energy from Kawhi, you're going to get it from maybe a patrick beverly or mantras harrell you still need to look at Kawhi to get the team going just from a production standpoint and he wasn't there yeah, and Kawhi should be the guy to get the team going. He is your foundational piece, and the standard is championship or bust. But it's really weird that he had such a bad game last night and not only underperformed in the fourth quarter, hardly even performed at all. Like, that is not what I'm used to seeing at all. He shows very little emotion. He's a stone-cold killer. I mean, even in the game seven, when he made the famous shot against the 76ers, he shot 11 for 35, but guess what? He showed up when it mattered, and he didn't show up at all last night. And to me, that's what was really weird. So I want to get into the conversation of Kawhi and his legacy and all that. Look, I'm not going to sit here and be that guy who says that Kawhi's legacy is tarnished. He's a choker, etc., etc. Like, even Kevin Durant, Steph, I mean, even Kobe, may he rest in peace, They've all lost 3-1 series leads before. But many people during and after last season were treating him like he was a top five player of all time and that 
He definitely would be in the conversation when he won the championship this year because he would be a finals MVP and he'd bring a championship to a franchise like the Clippers that have never done it. And like he was already better than guys like LeBron and Kevin Durant. And I'm like, hold up. I don't think he was ever better than KD. Like when KD played those 10 minutes last year in the finals before he ruptured his Achilles, I was looking around like, dude, he's the best player on the floor. I mean, like maybe healthy Steph was better, but Durant was like dominant at 65% functioning and outplaying Kawhi in those 10 minutes, in my opinion. I believe that had he been healthy, the Warriors definitely would have won the series. I believe that had Clay stayed healthy, it would have gone to game seven and been a complete battle. So I'm just tired of Kawhi getting held to a different standard, uh, a softer standard, that is. It's kind of like the Carson Wentz of the NBA in some ways. And so like, what I will say is this. Kawhi is a special player and one of the best in the world, but I don't want to hear anything about his status as an all-time great or how he's above the level of some of these other guys. I want absolutely nothing of that until he shows us otherwise and writes a new storyline. Definitely. I think uh, I think the problem uh, with that is that a lot of people looked at his trajectory because he was in throughout the playoffs in his past, he has been incredibly efficient and they took that and they assumed that his greatness and his legacy was just set in stone. They said, they thought that, man, if like he hasn't messed up before, so he's not going to, again, he's automatically one of the greats. But obviously as we saw in game seven, that's not true. He's human. (laughs) Yeah, he is human. I think after watching the last dance, Michael Jordan may very well be the only person that isn't human. Just because what he did time and time again, you'd think at some point he would have had a moment like this or slipped up despite how crazy of a competitor he was, but he did not. And that is part of the legend of number 23. Exactly. And one more thing I want to point out here is we should, uh, as bad as the uh, Clippers played, we also have to, uh, we also have to, start taking a look at Doc Rivers because, you know, you mentioned before their 3-1 loss. There's 13 times in league history that that has happened. And guess which coach has had has been the head coach three times on a team that's lost a 3-1 lead? Three different times? Well, I knew, I knew of two because there was this one and then against the Rockets in 2015. And also in 2003, when he was head coach of the Orlando Magic. So we really have to start taking a look at Doc Rivers and his coaching uh, and his coaching style. I'm not saying it's time to fire him. He's still a fantastic coach, but he's got to be held accountable at least. Yeah, and look, I have a lot of respect for Doc Rivers, and he has a lot of class. And I love how he's been speaking out for social justice as well on that front. Definitely. But- you're absolutely right. There's no way around it that we can't speculate a little bit and say that his job might be in danger. Uh, it's going to be really interesting to see how the Clippers bounce back next season, but that's a long way away. And this is going to be a tough one to swallow. You also have to kind of wonder with Kawhi, you got traded to Toronto. You had not just an entire city, but an entire country of people enamored with you 
You brought them the championship. Nick Nurse just won coach of the year. I mean, is part of you thinking maybe I should have stayed? Yeah, that could be very well going through his mind. But, you know, I think at the end of the day, he just wanted to he wanted to maybe go home, which turns out it may not have been the hindsight and may not have been the best decision. But, you know, even looking at the Clippers next year, it's going to be interesting to see how their roster shapes up because they've got a couple of key free agents uh, this upcoming offseason. Montrezl Harrell is going to be a free agent, and with how he's played in the regular season, at least, I don't know if they're going to be able to re-sign him for the money he's going to demand. They got Marcus Morris uh, going into free agency and Reggie Jackson, too, I believe. So these are all either key or rotational players for them that uh, had an impact in one way or another for their team this year. So we'll see. They'll keep their main stars in Kawhi, PG. They'll keep Lou Will. Uh, I think they still have Pat Bev and their big guy Zubac under contract. But uh, other than that, it'll be interesting to see how they construct their roster for next season. Yeah, nothing's guaranteed in the future. You have to take advantage of those opportunities while they are there. Nonetheless, the Denver Nuggets did it, came back from a 3-1 deficit against the Utah Jazz, and did it again against the heavily favored Los Angeles Clippers. Talk about cementing a legacy. Michael Malone, Jamal Murray, Nikola Jokic, that is stuff of legends. I do want to go to the other side of the country, the Eastern Conference, because that's still going on, and we just had game one of the Heat versus Celtics. Uh, This is a series that not everyone expected to see, but if you looked at that game one, then they sure looked like the two best teams in the Eastern Conference, and they deserve to be there. Uh, Bam Adebayo's monster block to save the game in overtime. Wow incredible and he was at in an interview after the game he talked about he didn't even know what was going on in the in the moment of that happening he just tried to make a play but if you look at that replay the ball is almost over the cylinder of the basket and bam's hand looks like it could have been or his wrist looks like it could have been broken but he had the strength to swat that out of there and just an incredible play that's so funny you say that because every time I've seen the replay, I'm like, how does wrist survive that? My wrist would have just snapped in two. Exactly. <laughs> Insane. Magic Johnson called it the best defensive play he's ever seen in the playoffs. What do you think about that? I mean, that's really high praise from one of the all-time greats. So he should uh, he should be very humbled by that. Yeah, no doubt. And even as a Warriors fan, I couldn't help but think that LeBron's block in Game 7 of the 2016 Finals was better just because of the stakes of that game and uh, you know beating a 73-win team in the regular season uh, and just you know bringing a championship to Cleveland for the first time in over 50 years. And based on how they acted, I hope they don't get another championship for another 50 years. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. That was a that was probably a much more important block because LeBron was uh, under much more s- scrutiny and pressure, and he uh, came up clutch there. But looking at the Heat, man, Jimmy G buckets, dude. 
Coming up clutch again. The G stands for gets. He gets buckets. Oh, it doesn't stand for Garoppolo? <laughs> oh, it might. It might. But in that uh, in that overtime game he played, or in the overtime period, he played stellar defense. And he also came up big with that and one that really, uh, that I believe gave them the lead for good. And, you know, it's just a testament to not only him, but the entire culture of the Heat organization. I mean, you talk about a player that's the perfect fit for a Pat Riley organization. It's Jimmy Butler. He's a hard worker. He's there in the big moments, and he doesn't back down from anybody. Yeah, and he's proving all of that true right now. And the story of the game was the Bam Adebayo game-saving block as it should be. But that and one right before was also insane. You got Jimmy Butler bouncing off of Jason Tatum twice in that play and just kind of awkwardly throwing it with very little arc for it to roll around in the rim. But that's what the big players do. They make big plays in big games. He also hit a clutch three-pointer, I think, at the end of regulation. And he's a 24% three-point shooter. So once again, rising to the occasion elevating past your potential. That is Jimmy Butler. And I like the Heat a lot. I love how they've played as a team. The Nuggets are obviously getting a lot of attention right now. But you look at the other side of the bracket, and the Heat are kind of like the Nuggets of the East in the sense that they've had a lot of fight in them. I don't even want to make a prediction on this series because I believe that Tatum is well on his way to becoming a superstar. And with guys like him and Smart and Brown on the team, just to name a few, they have a lot of fight in them. So I just want to sit back and enjoy it and appreciate it. I'll save my rooting energy for the Nuggets. No doubt. Yeah, this series is going to be a dogfight, to say the least. And I think uh, a big X factor that could be in play is uh, Gordon Hayward recently was just upgraded to doubtful for Game 2. So even though it looks like he's probably not going to play in Game 2, if he can come back mid-series or late in the series and have uh, have an impact, I think, the Cel- I think that gives the Celtics leaps and bounds more of uh, an advantage. In the East, uh, as coming out as Eastern Conference champs. Yeah, but in a weird way, I have to wonder if Gordon Hayward returning would almost give them a negative impact and help the Heat because these young guys on the Celtics, they got a lot of talent and they can play under pressure. But especially in the Kyrie era, it was really interesting to see how they sometimes played better even when their team on paper was a little bit worse. No doubt, no doubt. And I think that uh, you can also look at, or that can also be paralleled to the Heat because you have uh, just rotational guys that are stepping up, like especially the rookie, Tyler Hero. He had so many clutch shots in that last game. And even going back to uh, game six and game seven of the Eastern Conference semifinals against the Raptors, his play in this playoffs has been incredible and years beyond what he what he is currently yeah and his teammate Kendrick Nunn got voted into the NBA all-rookie first team but I think Tyler Hero is showing that he's the man right now not backing down from the moment either kind of like his teammate Jimmy Butler and when I realize that this guy's younger than me I just think 
wow, I have really underachieved, but <laughs> it's special to see. We also can't leave this discussion without giving our props to Goran Dragic as well, because he had, you know, a measly 29 points in that game. So it doesn't, it doesn't go unnoticed. Just, uh, just making sure we cover all of our bases here. Yeah, that's five more than the combination of Kawhi Leonard and Paul George and 29 more than the Kawhi-Paul George duo in the fourth quarter. hey That's what I'm talking about. Kawhi and PG felt dangerous. Well, maybe not dangerous in the best context, I guess. But, <laughs> yeah, we got the Eastern Conference Finals, and now we got the Western Conference Finals set. Lakers. Nuggets, Heat, Celtics, one of those teams will be your NBA bubble champion. But we're going to move to football, and we're going to move to a segment that I've been waiting to do for so long. JJ is back. Are You With It is back. And Kirk Cousins is back. Our old little friend. It's a little bit of old news at this point, but it was too good not to discuss in a podcast with Kyle Brandt a few weeks back, Kirk Cousins said in response to the question, on a scale of 1 to 10, how concerned are you with COVID with 1 being masks are stupid and you're all a bunch of lemmings and 10 being I'm not leaving my master bathroom for the next 10 years. Kirk said he's at a point zero 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 one. He said, if I get it, meaning the coronavirus, I'm going to ride it out. I'm going to let nature do its course. Survival of the fittest kind of approach. And just say, if it knocks me out, it knocks me out. I'm going to be okay. Even if I die, I die. I kind of have a piece about that. Okay, before I launch into it, JJ, are you with it? Oh, I am, I'm not with that. No, not at all. Um, and I know we're, uh, we're going to talk about him adding fuel to the fire of those who believe the whole coronavirus is a hoax, which that's very fun. That's a very fun thought. <laughs> but uh, this definitely, uh, I think it was taken a bit out of context because he said he does, uh, he wears ma- his mask out of respect for others and, uh, he wants to be mindful of others' priorities, but uh, this definitely was not a great thing to say. Yeah, that's true. I don't want to ignore the fact that this comment could easily be taken out of context. And, you know, he did clear his statements up on social media. And in Kirk Cousins' defense, actually, I have nothing to say because what the fuck? Dude, you are so weird. He is so weird man he's so weird i like i know that he said he would wear his masks and take precautions because he would respect other people yeah that's great congratulations you're a human being bro good for you what the fuck survival of the fittest like dude what kind of evangelical like 1850 world are we living in right now i mean sure i get that not everyone's gonna take my side on that or maybe the reaction was a little bit extreme but you know, after watching him play last weekend, and I'm just thinking, like, oh, yeah, this dude clearly doesn't care. He's happy to be in an empty stadium. He's chilling. If I'm Kirk Cousins' wife and I hear that, I'm like, hey, thanks, dude. Like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. It's really weird to me. It's really weird. I'm glad that he is respecting other people and 
not overtly being an asshole who's trying to spread it, but that take, I am not with it in the slightest. Yeah, he <laughs> he really said, if I die, I die. And like going back to, this is definitely going to add fuel to the fire for those people uh, who think the coronavirus is fake, which is not what you want. And this is why what he said is so wrong, because that just, uh, that'll just conflate their their superstition and their argument even more, which is not what we want because we've seen that the coronavirus is a serious pandemic and it's killed thousands, I believe, if not hundreds of thousands of people. So this is no laughing matter, really. Yeah, almost 200,000. By the way, is it just me or does this quote take you back to the scene in Rocky Four when Apollo Creed is lying on the ground after fighting Drago and Drago just the camera pants to him and just goes, if he dies, he dies. Oh, there's no doubt. That was the <laughs> that was literally the first thing I thought of, of him just like stone cold straight faced. If he dies, he dies. Kind of took me back to a little bit of a dark moment from my childhood, even if it was just on cinema. So yeah, Kirk Cousins, whatever. I mean, fuck, you do you, dude, I, I guess. <laughs> so weird, though. Oh, man. Okay, well, moving into fantasy football. On the last episode, Robbie and I talked a little bit about fantasy football because we have a rivalry week. Two of us are facing off against one another for the first time ever. We are also in that league together. And, JJ, how did your team do this week? Oh, they played lackluster, to be honest. I mean, just to go through a quick rundown of my lineup, I've got Drew Brees at the quarterback position, Saquon Barkley at the first running back, Chris Carson at my second running back, DeAndre Hopkins, Odell Beckham, Hayden Hurst at the tight end, T.Y. Hilton at my flex, Bills defense, Chris Boswell, and a whole mishmash of other players. But, uh... Going back and looking at it, I've gotten – last week I got 14 points from Drew Brees, which is so awesome. I got nine points from uh, Saquon Barkley, which is always what you want to see. I mean, that's not – that's still not a terrible uh, – that's not terrible, but it's not what you want from, you know, Saquon Barkley. Uh, Chris Carson had a game. DeAndre Hopkins had a game. The biggest, the biggest problem for me is I think I got sucked into uh, the Odell Beckham hype train again. I've drafted him, I believe, three years in a row now. And oh, you didn't learn from the first two? Yeah, they have been disappointing to say the least. I went for the, I went for the allure of the big name of Odell Beckham, and it's already proving to have bitten me in the ass. So. Not feeling, not feeling too optimistic about this year. With the, uh, hopefully we can turn it around in week two. Yeah, but I got to be honest. Your team for being zero and one is not a bad zero and one team at all. Drew Brees is capable of putting up a buttload of points any given week. Uh, DeAndre Hopkins is clearly the guy in Arizona. Had fourteen catches for what one hundred and fifty six, hundred fifty one yards, something like that. And Chris Carson. He had a great week last week, and I think Chris Carson's a really sound running back. I think part of my take last year at one point were like, I think they said Chris Carson is the best running back that doesn't suck, and I was like, 
<laughs> good. I was like, he doesn't suck at all. When he's not injured, he plays really well and he's a good workhorse. So I will stick up for Chris Carson despite my hatred of the Seahawks. <laughs> no doubt, no doubt. Now let's take a go give a rundown through your team. Well, I love my first three picks. I have my running back, Aaron Jones. Then I have the best player in the league, Patrick Mahomes. And then I have Adam Thielen, who appears to be the only guy that Kirk Cousins wants to throw to ever. <laughs> Sorry, this is a big Kirk Cousins roasting fest, but... <laughs> as, it, as it should be, as, as it, it should, should be. be. You know, if Adam Thielen dies, he dies. <laughs> Sorry, that was a little dark. Uh, I don't want anyone to die. Adam but, Thielen, we love you. Don't worry. Oh, yeah. After he told Bill Belichick to shut the fuck up, he's been my hero. No offense. None taken. None taken. <laughs> so, yeah, I love my first three picks, but I need the rest of my team to do well. Noah Fant almost gave me a Monday night nightmare. I had a huge lead going into Monday night, and I was able to squeak out a victory. And hopefully I'll be 2-0 and when I beat Robbie. And that could be a nice start to get me into my week three matchup, which is against, let me see. Oh, it's JJ. Oh, yeah. Where I expect to have a bounce back from week two and have momentum going into week three to ultimately, I guess, crush you. No yeah, pain. I guess uh, I got some back-to-back rivalry games here. <laughs> I wouldn't even, I wouldn't really call it a rivalry since I'm probably just gonna, you know, dominate. But hey, you can call it what you want. Wow, you were talking a big game. I'm going to save the trash talk for next week because like the Denver Nuggets, I will take things one at a time. And I'm just looking at the opponent in front of me and only the opponent in front of me. So I'll deal with you in seven days or so. (laughs) Alrighty, alrighty. Well, a lot has happened. It's been a crazy week in sports. JJ. I know you've been waiting weeks to do this. Shout out to what do you have? Oh, I think this one is a no-brainer. My shout out goes to the Denver Nuggets, the first team in history to come back 3-1 twice in one playoff run. It's just really incredible. It just shows how well coached they are, how much talent they have on their roster, and most importantly, how much heart they have. They could have given up so many times in the series against the Jazz and the Clippers, but they fought back and they clawed back all the way to a meeting with the Lakers in the Western Conference Finals. And everyone talks about how the Nuggets are a young, rising team in the NBA, and they're going to be really promising in these upcoming years. But... I got to tell you, they're no longer rising, man. They have arrived. Yeah, I could go on and on about the Denver Nuggets because I am obsessed now and my boy Freedom Murray and Jokic. But all I will say is this. Jokic is such a wholesome person. Like in the interview last night when they were talking about the next series, when Rachel Nichols asked that question, he said the goals were to play hard and have fun. And I was just like, dude, this guy's playing like city league rec basketball right now. (laughs) Yeah. To have that mindset in the most serious of moments is truly incredible. You love to see it. Yeah. And you could tell how relieved and happy he was. It's going to be a fun series. JJ's Lakers versus 
my by bandwagon association, Denver Nuggets. <laughs> Just another rivalry to add to the books. My shout out. Shout out to Miami Heat coaches Eric Spolstra and Chris Quinn. And here's why. Well, Chris Quinn is an assistant coach for the Miami Heat. He spent four years playing with the Heat from 2006 to 2010. I saw a picture of both coaches together when I was reading an article back in the winter, and I legitimately thought for a moment that it was Mikey Day and Alex Moffat from Saturday Night Live. So if you have a chance to look up Chris Quinn and Mikey Day, they're only four years apart in age in real life. But I thought it was pretty much the same person. And I would love for Mikey Day and Alex Moffat to do a skit as the Miami Heat coaching staff. If they make the NBA Finals, maybe it'll happen. Real question. Have you ever seen Chris Quinn and Mikey Day in the same room at the same time? I have not. But if you're someone who has or know somebody who has, please contact us. Good time to mention our website, pottytrainme.com. Go to the bottom right corner, click the yellow chat icon. You can leave your name or a pseudonym if you like, and you can ask us a question or give us any kind of information necessary because if you know anything about this, we would love to know. No doubt. No doubt. <laughs> Woo! Well, that's another one in the books. JJ, how does it feel to be back? Oh, it feels incredible, you know. It feels like the first time you shoot a basketball from not playing in like six months. And I got to tell you, there was a little bit of rust, but I had so much fun being back, man. How about you? Oh, I've been waiting for this moment for weeks. Every single day, I think about it. We got the return. We got the return in style. And the best part is we get to suit up soon and do it all over again. Beautiful. Oh, I'm so excited to keep pumping out episodes, and I'm so ready to watch the remainder of these NBA playoffs while we ease into the football season. Hang in there, everyone. We're going to get through these rough times. We'll be back soon. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 